Hello and welcome once again to the Reptile Living Room. I'm your host as always, John F. Taylor. And in today's episode, we actually have a very special guest. <clears throat> well, to me, she's a very special guest. Uh, she goes by the name of Melissa Amarillo. She's a PhD student, I believe is the correct way to put it. Uh, she's doing some really, really intense research on uh, rattlesnake behaviors. And, you know, I don't want to ruin it. So uh, what, I'm, what I will say, though, is uh, you can go right to reptilelivingroom.com. There's a little uh, 125 by 125 ad on there. You can donate. You can adopt a snake. You can do all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, and, of course, as always, we're brought to you by the, uh, Her Pediculture House Easing. That's herphousemag.com. Uh, do give us a tumble. Uh, we're always looking for new authors, always looking for new photographers. Uh, it's a easing written for the uh, reptile community, by the reptile community, basically. There's no advertisements in it whatsoever except for business card size ads that are put in there by our authors. And that's the only advertisement in the magazine, and that's all the way at the back of the page. So we are dedicated to the content and not the advertiser. So, without further ado, here is Melissa Amarillo and talking about social aspects of rattlesnakes. Today we're on the line with uh, Melissa Amarillo, who's doing some uh, very interesting rattlesnake research. And, uh, well, you know, what else do you need to know? She works with venomous stuff, and that's just cool. Kind <laughs> <laughs> <Not> a chick. <laughs> exactly. You know, chicks and venom. You know, what more do you need in life? <laughs> now, listen, one of the um, really just mind-boggling things to me was the type of research that you're doing. Um, so rattlesnakes could have a family structure and all these really neat behaviors that we typically attribute to mammals. Yeah, I, yeah. so my, um, my dissertation topic is social behavior of rattlesnakes. And, of course, the usual response I get when I tell people that is, what? What? I don't, they don't, they don't do that. <laughs> yeah, so it's always like, you know, I sort of read it out. It's like, yes, they're social. Um, so, yeah, to get that out of the way, the rattlesnakes do spend um, at least Arizona black rattlesnakes, the species I work with, but I don't think it's unique to them. They do spend a, a great deal of their life um, in groups, and at least our preliminary data, um, it looks like there is some structure to these groups. It's not just a random aggregation of animals that are gathered together because, you know, they need to get warm or something like that. Um, seems like there is some structure to these groups. It looks like there may be um, bonding between individuals, um, and currently what we're looking at further is um, to get some genetic samples so that we can investigate whether or not there are some, um, you know, some kin structuring to the group, if these groups are indeed sort of like big rattlesnake families. Wow. And now, something that we talked about uh, in prior conversations was it almost seems like that not to be too anthropomorphic about it, but that almost everyone in the group, as far as adults go, have a role in, you know, almost, you know, it seems like some of them watch the den, and then, you know, <laughs> some of them keep an eye on the kids, <laughs> you know, it's just really interesting to see, to uh, hear that stuff, you know, because most people just think that, you know, they're reptiles, they're just, you know, they're stupid animals. Right, they're little robots that just are like, find food, escape predators, find correct temperature, but right. you know, their, their lives are, are much more complex than we give them credit for. I mean, it's, you know, it's hard for humans, something, an, an animal that is pretty limited to sight, 
mm-hmm. and to some degree hearing is, you know, that, that's the stimula we use to sort of see the world and um, animals that don't use that and use other things. And so in the case of reptiles, you know, they depend a lot on chemical signaling, and that's probably how they do a lot of their communication with each other. So it's just, you know, we can't see it. It's hard for us to understand. Um, so we write it off. You know, we think of animals that are smart as ones that are like us and do things like us, even though other animals, you know, may have some of these same relationships, but just the way that they communicate and the way that they, you know, see the world, navigate their world is just, you know, it's very alien to us because it's not the way we do things. Right, right. Now, um, you've been out there or at your particular research site for how long now? Uh, um, we just finished, um, we've had two full field seasons, so that's kind of April to beginning of October, so 2010 and 2011 were years. Uh, especially last year, last year was uh, 2011 was when we started setting up um, the time-lapse cameras, which are what we primarily use to gather behavioral data. So they're, um, they're remote cameras that we set up with, you know, they have their own little solar panels or AA batteries, and so we can leave them to monitor the snake's behavior at these um, sites where they do their social basking and, and other stuff. And then it sort of removes the human, so we know that we're getting, well, we don't know, but it seems like it's probably more natural behavior than right. if a big human predator was sitting there watching them. And indeed, we have seen them doing different things um, than what we've seen when we're there. <laughs> right. That's what I was just about to ask you, is you've actually seen some changes in behaviors when you're there versus when you're not there. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So the, the first year, the, the biggest difference so far has been in um, some of the maternal behavior. Uh, so, you know, the other, like, you know, ooh, wow, is rattlesnakes have live babies and the moms take care of the kids. Yes, they really do, <laughs> just like they're social. Um, and so the, the first year we worked with this population, um, you know, we didn't have cameras, so we would just go and sit and, and watch the mothers, and then when they gave birth, you know, watch their interactions with the families, which, you know, which were, you know, interesting, and, you know, we saw some, some cool stuff that way too, but um, something new that we... I don't think would have ever seen doing like crystal observations was um, interactions between squirrels and right. the rattlesnake families, and that's something that the cameras have picked up. Uh, now that we're going through all the videos numerous times, <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's interesting. It, the, the rattlesnakes in our populations, the females are probably not big enough to take out an adult squirrel, um, and of course, some squirrels are immune to adults are immune to rattlesnake venom. Anyway, um, but yeah, we have squirrels coming up and threatening the families, scaring the little ones back under their nest rock, and um, yeah, pretty interesting stuff. And you know, we've never had a squirrel approach us while we're sitting there watching the snakes, so that's been pretty interesting. Right now, um, one of the things that I remember uh, just recently seeing on your uh, website, which we're going to actually put a link for everybody to see in the show notes uh, as well, in case you can't see the. Uh, 125 by 125 ad on the right hand sidebar of reptilepharma.com where you can donate in the top snakes for Melissa's research. Um, in case you missed that whole advertisement right there, it's big, bold, 125 by 125. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be in the show notes, so you can't possibly miss it this time. Um, on the website, one of the interesting things that I 
was just flabbergasted by, and I had to go through and like look at it like four or five times to make sure I was actually seeing it correctly, was a baby. It, it was a, to humanize it. A baby was about to run out the street, and mom came out and got him. <laughs> I mean, I, I sat there and just watch. I you know I clicked through the photos. And I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah, she really yeah. did. <laughs> yeah, they really do. Um, yeah, that's one of the, the behaviors that we see. You know, we saw it once and we're like, did that, did that just happen? And, you know, the nice thing with the, the cameras, because they're taking pictures all the time, is that we've seen several things that would have seemed weird and, like, we were imagining it and anthropomorphizing. Right. But, you know, you see it multiple times and it's like, okay, this is real. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and it, you know, and it's again, it's, it, you have to see the whole thing, and the film and the photos are definitely better than an explanation. But yeah, the short story is um, the first few days after the babies are born, um, they don't stray too far away from the mother, um, basically not more than, you know, their own body length, which is not very much. You're talking about, you know, less 10 inches or something like that. Um, and they, they stay that close, and the ones that do... Um, get to be kind of adventurous and start wandering a little, you know, whatever the mother is determined is too far away, right. um, you know, she'll, she'll put a stop to that. And they've, we've seen them do it in a couple different ways. Sometimes she'll just sort of, like, get in front of them to just make her, you know, she just becomes a wall. Right. Um, you know, or they'll kind of, um, what we have one of the, the videos of is the mom just sort of going out and it just looks like she's kind of tapping the little one's body with her head, yeah. which... Yeah. You know, you see that, and it's, well, it, you know, we don't know, if that, does that really mean anything? I mean, you're just interpreting it the way you want it to, but the baby responds by yeah, coming back Yeah, it's like the response, the though, is just so blatant, it's not even funny. The baby's like, oh, damn it, all right, I'm going back. You know, you yeah. can totally hear him <laughs> grumbling in his head, you know? <laughs> Hanging his head down, looking exactly. at the ground. Like, yes. <laughs> Going teenager, yeah, totally. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I just like, yeah, it's, you know, it's easy to, you know, we're not supposed to describe things that way as, as scientists because it's anthropomorphizing. But, right. you know, I, I do a lot. I mean, you know, publishing papers, putting things out in the scientific literature is good. It's the way that you, like, prove things are happening. But, um, you know, I do a lot of work with the blog and then also um, in person, you know, talking to the public because that's who really needs know about this stuff. I mean, talking to other scientists is, well, frankly, it's just it's boring. Um, <laughs> and rattlesnakes have a, they have a reputation problem. People don't like them. And I think Ugh, finding yeah. out about this kind of stuff might change some attitudes. And, you know, when you put things in that way, I think that that, that makes it more appealing. It's easier for people to understand. So it's anthropomorphizing, but that, you know, as humans ourselves, that I think that helps us understand these behaviors. We're like, you know, it's like when moms and kids do this. Make yeah. it easier for people to understand. Yeah, very definitely. I agree with that 100%. Because, you know, like you said, rat rattlesnakes, they just have a bad rap. They have, you know, since we, I, I'm convinced since we first even noticed them, you know, when the first explorers went out and, you know, somebody got killed by one, you know, <laughs> it's like they were just doomed. You know? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Not to mention, you know, the whole biblical thing and, you know, but. That's another conversation. <laughs> yeah. You know, we have, I, you know, I always describe it as, you know, humans have an innate 
strong reaction to snakes, and it, it's not always going to be negative. But you, you don't need, you don't talk to a lot of people that don't feel real strongly about snakes one way or another. Some people are really scared; they really hate them, they really love them, they're really fascinated. But it, you know, it's real strong. And I think if you can take that, especially um, by talking to kids, you know, you right. can sort of turn that into more sort of the, the fascination and appreciation and away from the, the hatred and fear. Yeah, yeah, very definitely. Now, um, and now, just so folks are aware of it, that you know, uh, the fathers, or you know, what, what I think you, what you believe are the fathers, um, or male rattlesnakes anyway, are playing a role also in the uh, uh, kind of the family structure, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. So um, we're still trying to sort all of this out, and hopefully, right. um, the genetic analysis will help, but. Um, well, we, we again, what we've seen, you know, over and over again. I, you know, there's there's stories about male rattlesnakes um, being present with females and babies. Gosh, I mean, it's in the the clobber books. There right. account from you know a hundred years ago. But again, you know, we write that off because uh, you know there's there like evolutionary reasons. But you know, basically, it's again the thing like eh, rattlesnake families can't be right. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've seen it happen a lot that. Um, at the, the nest that our females use, well, sometimes we'll have multiple females, and these are often right at their um, overwintering sites, their dens, um, but not always. Sometimes they're a little bit away, and we have male rattlesnakes, um, adults, and then actually this summer, a juvenile, a one-year-old, um, show up at these nests um, right after the kids are born. And they are snakes that share the same den with the females, um, so I'm not sure, um, you know, because we haven't we haven't done the analysis. We've never seen any of our snakes um, mating in the wild, so I don't know who the, the fathers of any of the kids are yet. Um, so it could be that they're they're the fathers. Um, you know, another reasonable explanation is that um, these are males that same share the same den, um, and if this is some sort of family unit, if you have to be in to share this important overwintering site, you know, maybe the the male, like the the dominant male or whatever at the den, you know, maybe he needs to check up on all the females and just so he knows to to recognize those as, oh, yeah. you know, members of the group. Um, you know, Dr. Rulon Clark has demonstrated in timber rattlesnakes that they have the ability to recognize their kin um, and that females will preferentially you know, sit together with a sibling versus an unrelated snake. Wow. Um, and yeah, and then in some other groups, like there's this group of skinks in Australia that are highly social, and the ability of males to recognize their kin um, and to tolerate them within their home range is really important for the development, basically, of a reptile society. So that, um, that could be what's going on here. Or you know, maybe they're there for some other reason. Maybe maybe they're just checking to see if the, <clears throat> the girls are ready to breed again as possible too. Although we haven't seen any sort of um, reproductive type behavior when they've shown up at these sites. Huh. Very interesting. Yeah, it's it's perplexing. It was again one of those you know you hear these things from um, the non scientists who like to go out in the field and look at snakes and. The scientists just laugh at them and say that's crazy stuff. That's what they said about 
rattlesnakes taking care of their kids for so long, and well, turns out that's uh, actually what they do. <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> those crazy snake guys, you know, they don't know anything. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and no, no offense to any scientists that do listen to the podcast, because I know there is some out there, um, but man, just because you guys wear a lab coat doesn't mean we don't know crap, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I will never wear a lab coat. <laughs> <laughs> I have yet to find a herpetologist that actually wore one. <laughs> yeah, it's on principle, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that uh, we, on both sides, have a lot more to learn by working together. And, um, you know, my project which is not at all my project. You know, it's a collaboration. I am getting, hopefully, a PhD out of it. Um, but, you know, I, this project exists because... Uh, Know, whatever you want to call him, an amateur, a snake guy, a field herper, came to me with this site where he had seen some of these social behaviors and, you know, told me about it and was really interested. He wanted to know about this relatedness between groups. You know, that was his big question. Are these families, people say these things, these other guys that watch the site, and I, I really want to know. And, you know, it kind of takes, you know, a collaboration to do that. I, you know, because it's taken me years to find a place like this, not right. something you really have time to do when you're in graduate school. Um, and he doesn't have the, the connections or the, the money to fund doing the genetics work himself, but, right. you know, together, hopefully we can get this done. Yeah, no kidding. Now that brings up an actual, another point that uh, some of the uh, lay people uh, seem to have a lot a lot of misinformation on <clears throat> when doing research where does the funding come from because I think a lot of the lay people you know because we read these stories in you know various newspapers that you know and of course it's sensationalist media you know that some scientists just spent a billion dollars researching cockroach poop you know for, <laughs> for you know some ungodly reason and can you explain that you know <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It doesn't really happen like that. Because <laughs> if it yeah, did, we would have cured cancer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because if there if there were dollars being thrown at scientists, that would be the first place it would go. Number one, <laughs> cancer research. I mean, it is the first place it goes. Um, there are there's some federal money available for scientists. It's highly competitive. You know, it's basically like. Um, there's a National Science Foundation that does support um, basic research that, that's not related to human health. There's, you know, that's, that's a whole other thing. Mm -hmm. um, but even with that, you know, I, I think they do place a priority on things that you can't, you know, if you can relate your project back to some way benefiting humans or relating to, you know, knowing something more about, especially medical, um, you know, that, that gives, a, gives you enough, but still, it's something like, 10% of the people that apply get money from that organization. Right. Um, so that's not much. There's there's little pots of money here and there, but you know, when you start graduate school to do you know anything in the scientist, biology, physics, you know, whatever, um, you're not sort of like given a blank check and said, you know, go do whatever you think is cool and whatever you need, just go out and buy it. Um, you, you end up paying for a lot of it yourself. You usually have to teach classes to, you know, pay the rent and feed yourself and 
Um, you spend a lot of your own gas money if you do field work like I do, and you spend a lot of time, um, you know, writing grants to get, you know, a couple hundred dollars here and there from, you know, local, herp in my case, local herpetological societies, behavior societies that fund this type of research. But, um, you know, it's competitive because I'm not the only one doing it, of course, and you send out 10 grant applications and you get one or none. <laughs> right, right. And that was one of the things, you know, that I found out just recently, you know, is because I thought at least, you know, somebody was paying for the gas. <laughs> you know, and a uh, colleague of ours, you know, was like, no, dude, when I go out and <laughs> go field herpy to catch my stuff, that's on me. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. Do you want me to buy you McDonald's for lunch? Because I know you can't afford it. <laughs> and then you know, when, we, when we originally talked, you told me, you know, about, you know, whereabouts you lived and how far away from, you know, any natural civilization. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I don't even want to know what your gas bill is trying to go to the research site. In fact. Yeah. Well, this year it'll actually be cheaper. Um, because I usually spend so much money driving back and forth from the research site, from the field site to my house or to, to school. Like when I was teaching last year while I was doing field work, um, this year I decided it would be cheaper to rent an apartment for a month, which seems like, wow, that's, that's going to be a rent a second house. But, you know, the gas. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that other field site is several hundred miles from where I live. Right. Yeah, it's, it's a haul, and you know, to be honest, the gas thing, because I've done this for so long on <laughs> high budgets, whether it was, you know, my project or if I was working for somebody else that, of course, also didn't have a lot of money because they are studying snakes, right. um, I don't even really think about it. I mean, it's something I, I write into grants occasionally, but really, I just, I know that that's what we're going to be spending a lot of money on. I mean, it's, we yeah. put 20,000 miles on our car and additional on our four-wheel drive truck every year for this stuff. I mean, that's just, you know, just the way it is. <laughs> <laughs> this is insane. Yeah. <clears throat> so, now, are you, other than doing the social thing, <clears throat> what other types of uh, research are you looking at doing um, in the future here? Hmm. That is a good question. You know, the social stuff is really interesting and it's pretty new for non-avian reptiles. I mean, we know a lot yeah. about sociality and like I said, there's this group of skinks in Australia, Agernia skinks, and um, those have been studied quite a bit. Uh, there's a night lizard in California that also seems like it has some complex kin structured groups. Um, so I'd, I'd like to look at it more in other species of rattlesnakes just to see. I think that there's some variability with sociality and other species that um, may not be based on kin groups and maybe for, for other reasons, uh, sort of, you know, you think about with some, with some birds and they have, you know, like, uh, they get together for, for mating, you know, that's often a sort of like a group thing in other animals and we don't really think about snakes doing that with the exception of there's some species that when they exit the den in mass, like garter snakes, then they'll will be some mating that goes on there, but right. as far as like taking time out in the middle of your active season to group together someplace, um, that's not something that's been documented in snakes, but uh, I don't want to say too much about it because we haven't yeah, done no the worries. project yet, but it seems like that could be 
could be happening and would be worth exploring. And, wow. Um, I'd also like to look more at the, the maternal care stuff. I mean, mostly what we have right now is some observations. We were lucky enough with the squirrels to actually see females defending their young against a natural, I don't know if you call it a predator, because I don't think the squirrels are eating them, but certainly frightening them. Um, right. But it would be interesting to sort of follow up on that. You know, what does, you know, they, especially when the babies are young, the females don't seem to like them to stray too far from the nest. So what if, what if you picked up a baby and took it out of the nest? Would it come at you? <laughs> Yeah, would, which, it look, would it look for it? You know, I, that, that was gonna be my next thing. Is you know what? <laughs> I'd be willing to bet she'd go look for it, <laughs> especially after seeing that last video. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was that after that one squirrel interaction. Um, you know, we couldn't ever figure out from the because the quality on the video is not super great, and you know, we couldn't figure out if any of the babies had actually disappeared after the squirrel. But there was definitely some upheaval and confusion, and the females did appear to be out looking for um, the young ones. And there's been some other um, cases where the tell the females are doing their scent trail and thing like they do with prey and with other right. snakes. Right. They seem to be trying to figure out where little ones went. So it would be nice, you know, to do being a scientist, do like the controlled experiment where we actually like I'm gonna take it away myself and, and see what she does. I have had the females come at me when I've gotten too close to the, the family, so I wouldn't be surprised that they may uh -huh. do that. <laughs> they do get to be quite brave and a little a little nastier than normal, since their normal is not nasty at all after they've given birth. <laughs> right, right. Just like all mothers. <laughs> <laughs> you said it, I didn't. <laughs> Don't mess with those kids. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Don't mess with the kids. Nobody gets hurt. It's all good. <laughs> now, um, <clears throat> most likely a really touchy subject, because um, I know it is for me personally, because I think rattlesnakes are just, I personally think they're just, you know, they're the best thing going. Um, a lot of people um, are misinformed and I use that term loosely <laughs> in regards to these roundups that are happening back east and what have you what what is it going to in your professional opinion what is it going to take to get people to understand and you know that they're you know destroying an ecological niche I mean basically but you it seems like they just don't get it I don't any thoughts think, on that? Yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I also have very strong personal yeah, feelings no, about that's why I kept things. stumbling and <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, uh, and so I can I can offer a couple perspectives. Um, okay. I think for years, for Roundups in particular, and then also just the, the snake conservation, snake killing yeah. stuff in general. Um, you know, our our way to approach that has been. Snakes are important in their environment. They eat pet species. They have, you know, we're trying to put like a, a monetary value on them. Like try to, and they certainly are important in their environment. They are a very important predator. I mean, there, there's been research to show that if you look at it from a numerical standpoint, um, they have a much bigger impact on small animals than um, a cat, a cat predator does because they, you know, they're not territorial. They overlap. So you'll have multiple large snakes 
rattlesnakes living in the same place, and so they have a greater impact on the prey. And mm-hmm. what's interesting, that's been tried. I don't think that's working. And what you know, and I and I guess some of this is personal too, because this is what I do. But sure. um, what has worked with a lot of other species is to, to make it personal, to make a make a make an emotional appeal. Um, you know, when people talk about saving the whales or the wolves. Right. They don't talk about the, their importance in the environment and the ecological impact it would have if they were gone. And you hear that a little bit, but that's not the main thing you hear. Well, for with whales, for instance, like, oh, they're social. They live in these families. You're busting up families, and um, you know, and it's it's more of an emotional thing. And and I know some people would say that that's impossible to do with something like a rattlesnake because they're just too repulsive. But I think. There are things about them that when you actually start, um, you know, not embellishing, not lying, but just no. focusing on things like like the parental care issues, and I think some of these social behaviors, it, it's interesting, you know, because I do, you know, outreach, and I go out to talk to people, and I show them the videos, and I explain what's going on, and, um, it, you know, it does make an impact. I don't know that it's going to change the mind of, of an adult that has always hated them, Right. Um, I don't know if anything will with that person. <laughs> That's what I was going to say, too. You know, if they, you know, because my dad, he hated snakes just because, you know, he lived in Kentucky on a farm. Snakes came and ate chicken eggs and ate chicken, you know, and, you know, there was a bunch of issues. And he just didn't like snakes. As long as they were away from him, he was okay with it. But just don't get, you know, don't come within reaching distance. And we're good. I'll sit here and look at you all day. Just don't come, you know. <laughs> you know, so he, he kind of had a, a, I guess, a social respect for him, but he didn't care for him. But these guys, these people that are doing these roundups seem to just, I mean, it's like a, it's like a hatred. Yeah, it's, and it's something that, and, you know, again, so we've been, we've been trying this sort of, ecological appeal and I don't think that people who are actually in there doing the roundups, we're not going to change their mind with anything there's nothing but the public that attends these is more sort of like you know for entertainment value that's just what they do Um, you know I think trying to put it as you know they're not killing this cold blooded killer of yeah rabbits and mice red and bees but they're they're cute and fuzzy and they have big eyes so it's still like you're trying to save something that's, you know, cold-blooded killer. I mean, that's just what people think of when they think of snakes. And I think if you can turn that around and, um, you know, in the case of most most rattlesnakes for Roundup are gathered at dens. And, you know, dens, maybe for a lot of species, it's not just a place to go in the winter. It's not just to escape the freezing cold, but it may actually be a very important part of their, you know, whole society, a very important right. part of the mating system. Um, you know, we were just beginning to tap into that, and so, you know, they're they're going in and they're busting up families. You know, I mean, that's sort of a different way. Yeah. We can't say that yet, um, but you know, that's that's one way to look at it. Is you're, you know, and you know, destroying the habitat for other things that that share the dens that are a little cuter. I think, I think helps. But and I don't know that we should drop the their importance in the environment because. It is important, and it is out there. Um, yeah, I'm actually hoping because I, I do feel so strongly, you know, personally about 
rattlesnake roundups, and this would not go on on any other species. You know, it's only with snakes. The public would not let this happen to you. You know, and some people with have... feathers or fur, and it's... <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, and people have brought that up, you know, that, okay, fine, you know, let's round up all the feral cats and start doing the same damn thing that they're doing with the rattlesnakes, and let's see what happens. Let's yeah, see how many felonies come come to our, you know, how many felony arrests are made then. You know, because there's a whole interaction with law enforcement and a bunch of other political BS that just drives you at the wall, but that's for a different conversation as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't want to get us both fired up. <laughs> it is. I think it's, um, it, you know... It's horrible, and so I guess another one of my, you know, sort of personal things that, you know, I love, I love doing the social behavior. I want to continue this as far as I can take it because mm-hmm. it's interesting from a scientific perspective, but also on, you know, personal. I think it, I think it works well to do this personal appeal, this emotional appeal to people to get them to just sort of like snakes more. And if we can show that dens are, you know, important like to a population wise where it's like it's not necessarily the the numbers of snakes you're taking out because there isn't really there isn't very, very strong data to show that, you know, the, the rattlesnake roundups are destroying a you know, a species of of, of rattlesnake, unfortunately. Um, but if we show that going in and attacking these sites because they're so important to their social system is mm-hmm. destroying that and that population, you know, maybe that would help. I hope so. That's right. Certainly something that's kind of in the back of my head as I'm doing this and, yeah. you know, depending on how it all works out, it's something worth mentioning in a publication down the road. You know, I think Disney just needs to make a film about snakes, an animated that's film about snakes. Nice. Yeah, and not one where the snake is the, uh... <laughs> yeah, not where he's hypnotizing yeah. the boy child and trying to eat him either. Right, or going after Ringo the chameleon, or... I don't know, I guess I wasn't Disney. Yeah. <laughs> I was all well, on the well, thing, Matt, well, Disney somebody and said, Pixar, oh, there's a yeah. rattlesnake in it. Oh, it's the bad guy. I'm like, oh. <laughs> exactly. Uh, it's like, really? Come on. Why, why is this always happening? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, so I, I don't know what the answer with the, the roundups is. It's, it's, it's tough, and, you know, maybe something else. That I, I don't know how much this has been tried, but, you know, appealing to groups that, you know, we may have our problems with. I know most people in, in our community aren't big fans of, you know, Humane Society of the United States. They certainly aren't perfect, and I know a lot of people don't like PETA, but these groups, especially PETA, you know, there's very good with their campaigns against stuff. I don't agree with all their methods. They're pretty sexist with some of their things, but um, you know, again, it's kind of like the a lot of scientists look down at somebody like me for working with non-scientists, but there's a lot of things that you can better accomplish together, so that might be you know, an avenue to think about you know, trying to join up with um, some animal rights groups. I know we're fond of saying it's like, oh, it's not an animal rights, it's an ecological thing, but it's also an animal rights yeah, issue. Yeah. And, you know, if we could, might help to get some of those groups on our side. I mean, publicity-wise, they're really good at that shit, really good at that stuff. Yeah, I mean, you know, just turn on the TV. I mean, really? <laughs> it's like you see the publicity going, guys, come on. 
So although I do agree with both sides of the fence, I agree with you, and I also agree with, you know, I really hate those animal rights organizations for, you know, trying to ban snakes, but, yeah, I see I see your your uh, point of conflict there where it's like, you know, we really don't like you, but, damn, you're good at what you do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, some, some groups work together, you know, you may not agree on everything 100%, but, like, you can agree on one issue, you know, you can right. agree to work on that, and you disagree over everything. I'm sure there are examples of groups doing that. Oh, sure. Sure. Very definitely. Think of it. No. Not in government, but maybe other... <laughs> yeah, because that never happens in government. <laughs> no. <laughs> we only mean... agree to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Now, you mentioned something else, too, that um, has kind of been a point of contention for me for many years as far as the... Um, and basically the reason behind the reptile living room altogether... Um, was to bridge the gap between herpeticulture and herpetologists. And I caught what you said about, you know, some scientists actually look down on you for working with people outside of science. Is that, a, is that still prevalent? Um, I haven't to, had anyone come out and say that. Well, uh, no, they never do. They, no. <laughs> you just get that really cold feeling every time you walk in the room. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's uh, yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's a weird thing, and I and I know <clears throat> who had that experience because we come at um, you know we come at these things sometimes with very different goals. And oh sure, you know, sure. You you go into a, a relationship with a herpeticulturist or a field herper, and you don't you know aren't very upfront with talking about that stuff before you do it. Um, yeah, then, you know, it can go wrong, but, you know, the scientist is thinking they're going to do one thing, and the other person is thinking they're going to do another, and, right. you know, I mean, part of it is a lot of science is not very kind to individual animals. Yeah. That's why animal rights groups don't like us, right? Um, yeah. Enemies from all sides. Um, you know, it's like most scientists are interested, as well they should be, about, you know, the population and if a few individuals get harmed in the way of finding out something to expand our scientific knowledge or in the case of conservation to, to help out the, the population of the species mm-hmm. in general, then that's, you know, the omelet without breaking eggs thing. Right, um, right. So that's, that's different for different people. That's, that is not my perspective, but I realize that I am weirdo in that way um, <laughs> but I, I think that's where a lot of that conflict comes in is it okay. uh, and because in most scientists point of view um, you know a non-scientist is more likely to look at some phenomena in the wild and see something weird one time and proclaim that like that's the way it always happens they don't have to worry about statistics and sample sizes and getting things passed through the almighty peer review and blah, 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 blah. And yeah. certainly there are a lot of non-scientists that do that. I also know some scientists that do that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean that hearing about that one weird observation and working with that person to say, hey, you've seen this once, you know, what situation was that? Maybe we should go out and look at it and see if we've seen it multiple times because that's that's how you find out about really cool stuff. <laughs> yeah, and that's something that bothers me, though, today even still, is because 
you know, uh, getting interviews with scientists. You know, as soon as I tell them, you know, that it's for the reptile living room and, you know, what the, you know, the general aspects of the, of the program, they're like, hmm. You know, it's like, oh, God, you've been burned. Great. Here we go again. You know, and it's like, I, w I long for those days of back when, you know, herpeticulture first started and we had access, or they, our forebears, had access to the scientists where the scientists and the field herpers would get together and go out and go, okay, we're going to collect this species, this is why we're collecting it, we're going to share this, whatever we find out between the two of us, we're going to share it and it's going to make everybody happy because we don't know what we're doing with this stuff. And now that's just like, it's like the ivory tower is, <laughs> you know, so tall now. It's just like, wow, there it is. <laughs> Do you ever think that's going to change or is it always going to be like that? I, I don't know. I mean, I hope so. I wish it would. And, and you know, and sort of stepping back from the, you know, our, our little world of reptiles, I think that, you know, we can identify some problems in our society as a whole that this has led to, um, you know, science is a dirty word now, you know, that all the, yeah. you know, the whole climate change controversy, and, you know, it's like they go on, and Ooh, it's boy, like, yeah. oh, you know, and it's like people going back and forth and saying this stuff, and, you know, to be honest, I think that this is our, ours and scientists' fault, because we spend most of our time um, publishing in places in the peer-reviewed literature, which is mostly only available to other scientists because you have to subscribe to be able to see most of it, um, and most people don't want to pay for that kind of stuff. They don't work at a university where it's available to you, and we go to scientific meetings, which are attended by pretty much just scientists, and we... Right talk to each other, and we don't do a very good job of attempting to disseminate our information to the public. Um, right. A lot of us are very bad at it, like we don't even know how to write in a way that, um, you know, the average person can understand, because it's a very different style of writing. Um, we don't know how to talk in a way that, you know, we can make people understand sort of like why our research is important, and I think that that's sort of gotten in the situation that we're in where there's these back and forth about things like climate change and I'm sure it happens with a lot of other stuff too that's just you know a very clear example and I you know I think that's why that this, we're this removed group where we're talking to each other um, I don't know I, I, I see that as a problem um, and you know from the, the scientist perspective we are rewarded in terms of like jobs and and your ability to get grants by the talks that you give at scientific meetings and the papers you publish in peer-reviewed journals, and for the most part, they don't care how many talks you give to the general public or if you, right. you know, write a blog or write for, um, you know, like a herpetological, in our case, a herpetological society newsletter or something like that. Right. Um, you're, not, you're not rewarded for doing that, and the other stuff is so time-consuming, you know, a lot of people don't make the time for it. It's, uh, tough. It is very tough. And, I, you know, I'm trying to do what I can and certainly encourage other people to do it, but I, you know, I realize because of the time and the non-reward for doing that why a lot of people don't, and I don't know how 
specialist to begin to address that problem on a larger scale. That's a, that's a big one. Maybe if, you know, if there are other successful projects, um, you know, with, you know, collaborations coming together where we can see the benefits of working with non-scientists, right. um, maybe that would sort of open the door to, like, hey, should we be talking to these people? And, you know, in addition to the, you know, they need to, you know, the public needs to care about what we're doing. Um, you know, non-scientists have the cool field observations that lead to these awesome findings because most scientists aren't just like walking around for the fun of it, observing things and seeing cool yeah. stuff. <laughs> Too busy. <laughs> just <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Very cool. Well, um, Liz, why don't you uh, give us your uh, site name again, just so everybody knows it. Yes, so the easiest way to find me is through the Social Snakes blog. So that is socialsnakes.blogspot.com. Um, and from there, there are links to my project on Rocket Hub, where you can find out how to support this type of research, um, and also links to my other blog on a project I just started up and my boring academic website and all that. But the Social Snake blog is the cool one with the, the videos and the, the social snake behavior we've been talking about all on there. Nice. Always on there first before it appears in the scientific literature. <laughs> really? Wow. I, I was, oh, yeah. Very cool. Very. And uh, there's, uh, now there's a link on there to go to rockethub.com to donate or adopt a snake. Is that correct? Yeah, so um, so right now, it's, I think it's up for around 30 more days, the Rocket Hub project, and that's, um, that's specifically to support our investigation into relatedness at these gen sites um, and among the, the groups of females that gestate and have babies together. Um, and so one of the things, so the way that Rocket Hub works is um, you support our project financially and we have prizes kind of like national public radio public television model um, no tote bags we don't have any tote bags but um, yeah the, the most popular one has been you can uh, adopt one of our social rattlesnakes and you get a little certificate and some greeting cards and some other fun stuff and I think after the rocket hub campaign is over I'll probably make that a, a permanent thing so if somebody hears this you know after April of this year, they can still, you know, get in on adopting a snake. I'll put a new little link up there for that. That'd be very cool. <clears throat> and uh, if you put, if uh, our listeners are listening to this from reptileapartment.com, there's, like I said, the 125 by 125 ad right there on the right-hand sidebar. Click on that. It takes you right to the Rocket Hub site. And you can donate, adopt snakes, support scientific research about rattlesnakes. It's actually worth something. Because climate change doesn't matter. Rattlesnakes do. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Who cares about the warm and fuzzy polar bear? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Getting <laughs> warmer all the time. <laughs> exactly. Okay. And so there you have it. That was, once again, Melissa Amarillo and Social Rattlesnakes. And, of course, <clears throat> please do click on the uh, 125 ad in the show uh, and in the show notes on the links that are provided. Uh, do support Melissa in her research. Um, like she said, you know, she's doing this on her own, pretty much. You know, I mean, there is uh, some money coming in, but, you know. I mean, you're supporting rattlesnake culture. Come on. What else do you need to know? Chicks and venom, right? Anyway, so once again, we are brought to you 
by her Pediculture House e-zine as well. Do give us a tumble, grab an issue, grab a subscription, even better. Uh, dedicated to the content and to our authors. Um, so please do check it out. Uh, buy a subscription. We could really use the help. Um, I'm not begging, but I'm almost begging. And uh, we will see you next week in the Reptile Living Room with another episode of Interview with an Expert. <laughs>